It was a crisp evening on the Irish Ardgillen estate. Autumn made the surrounding landscape rich with jeweled hues, and the gentle breeze held the hint of a chill, like a premonition of the long winter it would carry in a few months' time. But 17-year-old Dylan Sullivan wasn't interested in the beauty of the landscape. He'd been waiting for nightfall, and as the sun sank behind the limestone cliffs, he watched the castle's shadow stretch across the lawn. But now, his eyes were trained on a railway bridge in the distance that extended over the churning Irish Sea. He was waiting. Waiting for her. The bridge at Ardgillen Castle was somewhat of a local legend. People claimed the ghost of a woman haunted it, wailing for a lover who drowned at sea. But on Halloween night, the spirit was silent. She was said to be waiting for an unwitting soul to cross the bridge. Anyone who dared, the ghost would kill, pushing them to their death in the violent sea below. Dylan bet his friends from the village that he'd see the lady ghost and make it home alive. But now that he was at the bridge, his heart was racing. To calm his nerves, he paced the ground, attempting to match each beat of his heart with a step. But this only quickened the rhythm of his strides. Dusk then slipped into black. A dense fog ushered in among the darkness. A chill rolled down Dylan's spine. His hair stood on end. Then, he saw her. The ghost almost glowed in the moonlight in her pure ivory gown, her long hair floating eerily around her. Dylan's heart slowed, his eyes widened, transfixed. She beckoned him, reaching out a hand. The boy took a slow step, moving as if through water, dazed, calm. He walked to the bridge toward the woman in white. Welcome to Haunted Places, a ParCast original. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. You can find all episodes of Haunted Places and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Haunted Places for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Haunted in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. Today's episode is part of our series on Halloween, where we delve into the fascinating traditions behind the world's scariest holiday. If you enjoy this episode of Haunted Places, be sure to check out the rest of the Parcast Presents Halloween feed on Spotify. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to the mysterious Ardgillen Castle on Ireland's eastern coast and discover why, to this day, it's haunted. An hour drive north of Dublin through emerald green farmland and along the misty coastline of the Irish Sea, you'll come across the famous Ardgillen Castle. 
an imposing fortress-like estate with rolling hills, ocean views, and a history that stretches back centuries into Ireland's past. Ardgillen derives its name from the Gaelic phrase Ardholia, meaning high wood. Hundreds of years before the land was cultivated, it was covered in miles of dense forest, a setting that some believe to be the home of fairies, spirits, and other supernatural beings of Celtic folklore. Originally, these ancient lands fell under the control of the Gaelic O'Casey family. The O'Caseys served as keepers of the wooded acreage for generations before the territory was inevitably ceded as part of England's acquisition of Ireland. But long before the British would attempt to tame its wild nature, Ardgillen claimed its own tax on the lives of men. For the better part of a year, Shivano Casey had found herself falling deeply, helplessly in love with Morgan. The curl of his auburn hair, his wild laughter, the way corners of his kind hazel eyes would crinkle when he smiled. How did she find someone so wonderful? And in Ardgillen of all places. Ardgillen was such an isolated place. Besides a few scattered farmers, Siobhan's extended family were some of the only residents of the remote land. Meeting Morgan was nothing short of a miracle in her eyes. But her family's elders didn't approve of the brash shepherd's son. Where Siobhan saw him as bold and wild, they considered Morgan impetuous. Not a fitting match for the daughter of a proud, landed clan like the O'Caseys. And so... Siobhan and Morgan met in secret. Night after night, they reveled in the warmth of each other's arms until the black sky turned into deep blue dawn. But today was different. This time, Morgan asked to meet Siobhan in broad daylight on the edge of the Ardgillen Wood. He had something to show her, something she had to see before nightfall. Nothing terrified Siobhan more than the thought of wandering those woods after dusk. So, as she waited for Morgan on the forest's edge, she felt uneasy. She paced like a madwoman in front of her horse, her mind racing. Suddenly, she saw him come striding toward her, holding a bright white cloth. A handkerchief? No, a blindfold. Morgan knew how much the woods frightened her, and though he'd promised to get her back before sundown, the blindfold would keep her fears at bay. As they rode into the forest, Siobhan wrapped her arms tight around him. Blindfolded, her sense of hearing seemed to heighten. She heard every twig snap beneath her horse's hooves, and dozens of bird calls. Some warbled low, while others let out piercing cries far in the distance. Before long, she could make out the gentle roar of the ocean. They came to a halt. Morgan guided Siobhan off the saddle and then finally removed her blindfold. She gasped. Before them stretched the Moit Aran Sea. The sun glittered off the waves as they crashed against the limestone cliffs. Morgan knelt and asked her to look down. Siobhan saw that they were surrounded by stones some big, others small, but all old and moss-covered, arranged in a near-perfect circle. They were standing inside a fairy ring. 
There were stories that claimed fairy rings held mystical powers. It was said that any mortal who entered one could petition the spirits for a single request. Morgan's request was marriage. He explained that he knew Siobhan's family would never accept their love. But perhaps, if the stories were true, invoking the fairies would change their hearts. He was willing to do anything to ensure they'd never spend another day apart. Then, Morgan placed something in Siobhan's palm. It was a small, smooth stone. He opened his own hand to reveal a similar rock. The stones would be tokens of their promise, he told her, at least until he could afford a proper ring. Siobhan froze. All her life she had heard tales of fairy folk, but if there was one thing from these fables that she knew for certain, it was that fairy structures should never, ever be disturbed. Her voice a frantic whisper, Siobhan asked Morgan where he'd gotten the stones. He laughed. From the fairy ring, of course. And with that, Morgan pocketed the stone, kissed Siobhan, and asked her to swim. As Morgan stripped off his shirt and ran into the waves, Siobhan heard something floating in the wind. A woman's voice, lilting and soft, calling. But from where? She looked around and saw nothing. The voice then rang out as clear as the roaring ocean. Suddenly, another voice joined, and another, and another, a chorus of whispers swirled in the air around her, building to a hissing crescendo. Siobhan whipped around in all directions, frantically looking for the source. But then, they stopped. Siobhan's heart pounded in her chest. They had to leave. They had to leave now. She turned to the sea, calling Morgan back to her. But as soon as she found him, her cries died in her throat. There, near Morgan, Siobhan saw something break the water's surface. As she peered closer, she realized it was his stone floating. It bobbed unnaturally in the waves next to Morgan as he stared at it, dumbstruck. Siobhan and Morgan watched as the water carried the stone back to the beach. It glided through the sand toward Siobhan until finally it slid back into place on the edge of the fairy ring. She screamed at Morgan to come back to shore. He swam as fast as his muscles could manage. But then, beneath the surface, something gripped his ankle. Waterlogged and choking, he let out a primal bellow before being dragged under. Siobhan wailed Morgan's name, but there was no answer. She sank to her knees on the sand as sobs racked her body. Hot tears rolled down her cheeks and landed in thick droplets onto her dress. Looking down, Siobhan noticed crimson blots had soaked into the gown's white fabric. She wiped the tears from her eyes, but as soon as she withdrew her hands, she was horrified. They were stained, streaked, wet with red. She was crying, tears of blood. Panicked, Siobhan sprung to her feet. She had to get out, now. She ran, a cascade of crimson pouring from her burning eyes. 
The blood obscured her vision in a haze of awful red, causing her to stumble on the beach's stone steps. She crawled on her hands and knees, struggling to see. The sun was setting now. Dusk was slipping into night, and Siobhan's sight was slipping away with it. If she had any hope of making it home alive, she needed to ride back as fast as her horse could carry her. But then, Siobhan realized Morgan had her blindfolded the entire journey there. She didn't know how to get back. Ardgillen Castle is said to have more than a few active spirits, but the most prominent is the ghost known as the White Lady. Those that claim to have seen her always encounter her in the same place, a railway bridge that extends into the Irish Sea. The locals call it the Lady's Stairs. The bridge gets its namesake from a series of historic stone steps that once stood in its place. There, her spirit paces endlessly, keening and wailing in a white gown, holding vigil for her drowned lover. But the White Lady wasn't the only victim of the Argyllan land's nefarious nature. Soon enough, she would have company on her eternal haunt. In a moment, we'll tell the story of how the wilds of Ardgillen were transformed into Ardgillen Castle and how the displeased spirits of the place took their retribution. Now, back to the story. In the late 1500s, the Ocasey's guardianship over Ardgillen came to an end. And in the 18th century, the property was handed to its first English proprietors, the Taylors. The Taylors were a respected family of noblemen from Sussex, whose patriarch, Robert Taylor, acquired Ardgillen by the year 1737. Robert was determined to tame the land's vast forests, and thus, one of his first tasks was clearing most of the woodland to make way for the estate's crown jewel, Ardgillen Castle. Seeking to be a king of his own making, Robert designed his new home entirely in stone and flanked it with two imposing towers with ornate battlements. The estate's grounds were just as magnificent, boasting 200 acres of sprawling pastures that opened up to a veranda overlooking the Irish Sea. The Taylors had truly conquered the wild Irish lands, hacking away and pruning until they had transformed it into their desired shape. However, the spirit of Ardgillen had a way of hacking back. Lady Louisa Connolly gazed out her window and sighed. That November, it had rained in Ardgillen for nearly two weeks, and she'd grown more restless each day. Charlotte, her servant and confidant, liked to joke that Louisa was as mercurial as the Irish climate, one minute glowing in her joy, erupting with easy, infectious laughter, and the next, brooding and sharp-tongued. Today, Louisa was the latter. Inside the damp stone walls of Ardgillen Castle, she felt like a prisoner, and in a way, she was. Her husband, Clotworthy, the Baron of Langford, had decided to spend the week's grouse hunting in Scotland, 
And so he insisted Louisa and their four children stay with his uncle, the Reverend Edward Taylor, and his aunt, Marianne. Louisa, of course, had no say in the matter. She suspected that perhaps he had sent her and her children to Ardgillen to keep her under the Reverend's watchful eye. But if this was true, she thought, perhaps Clotworthy was sharper than she gave him credit for. Louisa turned from the rain-streaked window to Charlotte. The young woman was bathed in the pale blue glow of the stormy evening, writing letters by candlelight. Though their affair had only started the previous year, Charlotte often spoke of running away together. She told Louisa of a remote Scottish village where they'd be far from prying eyes. There, they could love each other openly, live freely. But Louisa was terrified of running away. She'd be abandoning her children, leaving the only life, the life of a lady, that she'd ever known. Sitting at her vanity, Louisa picked up a sterling silver hairbrush and began running it through her long brunette locks. Moments later, Charlotte appeared behind her. She took the brush from Louisa and began tenderly combing her hair. It was a gesture that harkened back to their beginning, a time when caresses felt safe only through Louisa's vanity mirror. But that was then. Louisa grasped Charlotte's hand and kissed her deeply. Desire spread through their bodies like a wildfire. Charlotte pulled Louisa toward the four-poster bed. Perhaps, Louisa thought, Art Gillen in the rain wasn't so terrible after all. The next day, the two women woke to beams of sunlight streaming through the bedroom window. And just as Charlotte would have predicted, Louisa's mood had improved with the weather. She proposed they venture to Art Gillen's beach. It was a beautiful day for a swim, and so, that afternoon, they left the stuffy confines of the castle for the Irish Sea. The women descended a set of stone steps down the cliffside to the beach below. Out of sight of the castle, they held each other on the damp sand and watched the ocean breathe, the tide swelling, crashing, and receding in its infinite cycle. Louisa listened carefully as Charlotte dreamt out loud about their life together in the Scottish village. She spoke of a small cottage and the garden they would raise together. The more she described it, the more Louisa realized there was no more waiting. She'd been letting her fears keep her from happiness for far too long. They had to go to Scotland, and they had to leave soon before Clotworthy returned to Ardgillen Castle Charlotte had waited for Louisa to say those words for so long. The women held each other on the sand, crying out of joy. They'd finally be together, finally free. In the next moment, the sky darkened and the gentle breeze picked up, turning into a steady howl. Louisa looked up to see where a bevy of clouds had gathered, obscuring the sun. Louisa asked Charlotte to help her undress, quickly. She wanted to swim before the weather turned. The sea seemed rougher than it had moments before, but Louisa couldn't resist. She'd always loved the sea, and today it seemed to call her into its depths. She felt a strange calm 
as she waded deeper into the crashing waves, as if she were hypnotized. As Louisa slowly submerged herself in the water, Charlotte called out a warning above the roar. Don't go out too far. But Louisa just laughed, calling back. Oh, Charlotte, there's nothing to fear. And in that moment, gently suspended in the sea, she believed it. Soon she would finally be free with Charlotte. In their new life, there would be nothing to be afraid of. Louisa threw her head back and beamed at the roiling sky. And then she saw something. First, it swelled into the periphery of her vision, churning and peculiar. Louisa snapped her head in its direction and gasped. Something was walking across the water's surface, and it was coming toward Louisa. Its hunched, broken body jerked unnaturally, and as it moved closer, Louisa could see that it was a woman. She was wearing a brilliant white gown, but it was half-soaked in seawater, dragging behind her in the tide as she moved, slumped, almost crawling. Her raven hair hung heavy in front of her. The woman jerked her head upward and finally revealed her face. Her eyes were milky white orbs and sunken sockets. Her mouth was crooked and cracked. As soon as Louisa's eyes fell on hers, the woman's mouth opened into a twisted grimace and a sob escaped her lips. It was a gut-wrenching primal sound that racked every nerve of Louisa's body. Thick, scarlet tears began to seep from the white of her eyes and cascaded down her distorted face. Her gaping mouth released a ceaseless wave of excruciating wails. More hot blood poured from her empty eyes. It streamed down her face to stain the pure white of her dress. Louisa's skin crawled, her hair rose. Then finally, she found her voice and screamed. Louisa watched as Charlotte leapt to her feet and raced to the sea. But with each step, Charlotte was beaten back by the waves. Louisa kept screaming. The woman, the thing, half crawled, wailing and jerking its way toward Louisa. Then, at just an arm's distance away, it halted. In an instant, it ceased its torturous sobbing and stood frozen above the water. Louisa stared, panicked. She couldn't tell where its sightless eyes were looking. Did it know she was there? But then she saw something had changed. The woman's twisted face was no longer grimacing. She was grinning. Below the surface of the water, Louisa felt a flurry of movement. A hand closed around her left foot, then another on her right calf. And then she was being pulled down. Louisa screamed and flailed, her hands grasping fruitlessly for anything to hold on to. There was nothing but open ocean. As she was dragged further, seawater flooded her open mouth. She sputtered, desperately trying to take in air. The water closed over her head, 
Louisa watched the world above the surface grow dimmer and dimmer as she was pulled into darkness. She thought of Charlotte, of their cottage in the valley. That life had felt so close she could touch it. All she had to do was reach out. But it was too late now. Down in the depths, there was nothing to grab onto. Lady Louisa Langford drowned in the Irish Sea on November 3, 1853. Though her trusted servant, Charlotte Bates, attempted to rescue her, the violent waters were too strong. Instead, Charlotte watched helplessly as her mistress drowned, grasping for hands that were not there. It's said that Louisa's ghost will often re-emerge from the sea to roam the grounds of the Ardgillen estate. Those who have seen her claim she treads the same path each night, walking from the stony beach below and ascending up the cliffs to the castle above. Coming up, we'll hear a final ghostly tale from Ardgillen Castle. Now, back to the story. Though not all accounts of ghostly sightings at Ardgillen Castle are consistent, there is one common factor. Almost every spirit encountered there has been that of a woman. And almost always, she's in mourning. These female apparitions linger in the darkness, sentenced to a perpetual state of grief, unable to let go of what was taken from them. There, they are destined to spend their afterlife in an eternal wake languishing in the pain of their most tragic moments, waiting to make those who stumble in their path suffer the same. Liam McGrady hated Ardgillen Castle. The McGradys had lived in the small town of Balbriggan, just north of the Grand Estate, for generations. And young Liam had always felt as if they existed in the castle's shadow. But after his uncle William, the castle's loyal groundskeeper, passed away, Liam didn't just hate Ardgillen, it terrified him. William had been found one morning, slumped against a hawthorn tree, dead. The local coroner deemed his cause of death to be an ordinary heart attack, but the circumstances around the incident were anything but. William's body had been found wet. His clothes were soaked and smelled of seawater, while his hair dripped as if he had been submerged just minutes before. But while Liam's family was placated by the coroner's report, Liam suspected something more sinister had occurred. Ever since he was a child, William had regaled him with thrilling tales of the spirits that haunted the Ardgillen estate. But not long before his death, William's stories only got stranger, his eyes more wild. There were voices in the woods, he told Liam, and for weeks they'd been calling his name. After William's death, the sprawling Ardgillen estate was in need of a new groundskeeper, and Liam was in need of a job. So, after the urging of his family, he reluctantly agreed. But as much as he resented Ardgillen Castle, Liam was determined to find out what had happened to his uncle. For one month, Liam labored on the castle's sprawling grounds during the day and waited, ears open, 
for the mysterious voices to come at night. But every night proved to be more futile than the last. There was nothing in Ardgillan's trees but wind and birds. Until one evening, when Liam heard it, heard her, with his eyes wide open. He stood leaning on the cool brick wall of the cottage at dusk, watching the dark blue light fade to black. As he gazed out into the open countryside, he took a drag on his cigarette. It was a habit his mother hated, but one he could enjoy as much as he wanted out on his own in Ardgillen. One of the few highlights of the miserable job. As soon as the last glimmers of twilight disappeared into night, Liam stubbed out the cigarette. It would be dark soon, too dark to see on the expansive estate. He turned to make his way inside, but something made him stop dead in his tracks. They were soft, delicate murmurs, a woman's whispers. The sound of the voice sent a chill up Liam's spine. His hair stood on end. It couldn't be. For one month, Liam had doubted the existence of the voices in the forest, but now they were here. Liam stood stock still, like a rabbit detecting the first sounds of a predator. Then he heard the whispers again, their words as distinct and clear as a chiming bell. The voice was hushed, yet sharp at the same time, cutting through the atmosphere straight to his waiting ears. The voice said, there is no fear, Liam. Liam's heartbeat quickened at his chest. Terrified, yet curious, he moved as if in a trance, step by step in the direction of the voice. As he traversed the Ardgillan's grounds, following the voice, he felt his senses heighten. His ears picked up on the slightest of noises, while his eyesight adjusted to the darkness. Black, amorphous shapes became distinct and specific. Shadows began to separate in gradients of dark and light shades. Underneath an ancient hawthorn tree, something was gleaming in the moonlight, metallic and unnatural. Liam moved closer to inspect the item and saw it was a sterling silver hairbrush, tarnished and weathered, but silver nonetheless. He bent over to pick it up, but as he stood again, what he saw nearly made him drop the brush. There, shrouded in darkness, was a woman standing at the base of the tree, softly crying. Liam could see her body gently shiver with each new sob, and suddenly compassion overtook any fear he'd previously felt. He called out to the woman. Was she all right? Did she get lost on her way to town? Did she need a ride home? But the figure simply continued to sob, almost as if she didn't hear him at all. Liam racked his brain. What could he do? If this woman was a tourist, he surely couldn't abandon her on the grounds at night. He'd get fired. He needed to find help. Just as Liam turned on his heel to leave, the sobbing abruptly stopped. Liam saw the figure had taken a step forward into the moonlight. 
he saw her a bit better now. Long, straight hair, clad in a dark dress, shoulders hunched. She reached one arm toward Liam, palm outstretched, as if asking for something. Liam quickly understood what? The hairbrush. He extended his own arm, gingerly placing the brush in the woman's hand. She took it and slowly, gently ran it through her long hair. And then she began to sob again. But this time her cries were growing louder, more gut-wrenching. The sound tightened Liam's gut and made him break out in a cold sweat. Then the woman slowly, deliberately moved out of the shadows. With each step, Liam could see more of her. Her clothes hung heavy around her, clinging to her body. They were wet. Liam soon realized that her hair, too, was dripping with water, as if recently submerged. The woman's cries grew more urgent, more guttural. Her gentle breaststrokes changed to erratic movements. She stepped forward into the full moonlight, and Liam's blood ran cold. His tongue swelled in his throat, forming a lump. He could not scream. The lady's face was decayed and bloated. Her eyes bulged out of her sockets. Her skin appeared veined and rotten. As she violently ran the silver brush through her hair, the drenched locks came out of her scalp in large chunks. She wailed louder, and seawater flowed from her open mouth. It cascaded down the front of her dress and formed a growing pool at her feet. Soon it had reached the soles of Liam's shoes, and in the next second, his ankles and calves, the water was pure ice as it traveled up his legs. His legs buckled, and Liam found himself sinking in the pool of seawater, kneeling at the woman's feet. He could feel the rapid acceleration of his heart as it pumped wildly, struggling against the water's frozen grip. The drowned woman then spoke to him, though her lips did not move. Her voice was soothing, coaxing. She repeated, There is no fear, Liam. Though the mourning women ghosts of Ardgillen Castle, the white woman and Lady Louisa Connolly are often mistaken for one another, their legendary hauntings tend to interweave with a third, the Banshee. According to Gaelic folklore, the Banshee is a spirit that most commonly takes the form of a woman, young or old, who will often appear keening in the early hours of the morning. She has long, unkempt hair, and is said to use a comb to lure innocent humans into her path. In Ireland, old wives' tales warn against picking up a stranded comb or brush off the ground for fear that it's planted by a banshee attempting to lead you to your ruin. Banshees are known to be linked to the oldest, most ancient of Irish clans. They serve as dark omens for these families. Their mournful wails considered premonitions of a relative's passing. Though there are some that claim that banshees themselves are bringers of death. 
The Ardgillen Castle's founders, the Taylors, lived on the estate for generations. Yet after 200 years, the family's wealth dwindled and the property was sold in 1962. Today, the estate is the property of Dublin County and has been transformed into a popular tourist destination. Its sprawling grounds and many gardens serve as open parkland, while the castle itself is open to the public for tours, community events, and even weddings. But while the castle serves as a sunny, well-manicured landmark during the day, its tragic history is resurrected every night. To this day, the mournful ghosts of the Ardgillen seep up from the earth and the sea. They linger in the space between the living and the dead, reminding those in the present of the land's wretched past. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back Thursday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all your favorite ParCast originals, like Haunted Places, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Haunted Places on Spotify, just open the app and type Haunted Places in the search bar. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoyed the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. I'll see you next time. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, with sound design by Carrie Murphy. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Muller. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Alex Garland. I'm Greg Polson. <laughs>